Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 Brian. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It's great to be with you once again. We are so excited to uh, be getting ever closer to the season. And as you might have listened to, and if you haven't, you can go back and find it, keepingcarlson.com or wherever you get your podcast. We looked at a lot of players who surprised us this season and threw up our hands. We're like, why weren't these guys on our radar? It was either for better or for worse. They either did a lot better or a lot worse than we thought they would have. We did, I think, two episodes on these guys, and they were actually really fun. And now we're throwing out, I think, what is an impossible question. Who is going to surprise us next season? We put that question out to you, our listeners, and to our patrons to try and get your... And I like this is a very gut take thing, right? Like, I can look at the numbers and the data and say, well, this person underperformed, this person overperformed, they'll regress, they'll do better, here's why. But that's actually not who we're here to talk about today. We're looking for your gut feels, your hunches about who next year is going to have a change in their performance, and we're not going to see it coming. Yeah, this is kind of similar to a show we've done in the past called The Hot Takeoff, where we just ask people to send in their hot takes and we rank their takes based on A, like how hot it is, like how actually like different it is from conventional wisdom, but then also like how much we agree it, it may actually be possible. So we're doing a little twist on that here where we're saying like, who are players that are not, yeah, and like Brian said, like how can you, if, it, if you say that you're going to be surprised by this player, then doesn't that mean you're not surprised when it happens? So that's why Brian and I aren't coming up with the list. We ask the listeners to come up with the list of the players that they think we'll be surprised by. Uh, but maybe after talking about them in this episode, we'll end up deciding that we agree that they'll be better than expected or worse than expected. And then it'll turn on not to be surprised. It's kind of like this weird uh, existential kind of thing. But we're just going to go with it. Uh, before we get into all the players that you have all suggested, uh, let's just mention quickly that Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. Check out the guide, which has been released, which you could download right now with the projections, and it'll update all the way through the preseasons. That's DauberHockey.com. Uh, but with that, Brian, let's start on our Discord. You made a post which was like, give us your predictions of players who you think will land on our surprise party episodes next summer. And uh, Phil got us started with kind of a, like he didn't even give like which direction. So I think this will be interesting to talk about. And uh, there's an unfortunate angle to this, which I think we should at least mention. Uh, He said, I predict that Drake Batherson will be at the top of your list next summer. And so Batherson, first of all, I think is falling in mock drafts that we've been doing. Uh, Partially, probably just because Ottawa's 
brought in so many stars. They brought in Debrinket. They brought in Giroux. Like Stutzler is now going to be a year more experienced. Like someone is going to be on the outside looking in, at least for like the power play, you think, unless they go with two even power plays. So maybe some people are worried that that guy will be Drake Batherson, who's coming off such a great season. Though, again, maybe people aren't ready to fully buy in on him as a point-per-game player just because, you know, he was injured for a lot of the year. We actually haven't seen him do it for a full season yet. So Phil may be suggesting that Drake Batherson will be at the top of our list because he will continue what he did last year. But for a full season, while a lot of people are maybe waiting on him in drafts for whatever reason, he will just continue to be this, like, point-per-game player also with, like, great, you know, shots, hits. Like, he's a really good peripheral contributor. He could also be saying that maybe we're like too high on Drake Batherson and he'll go lower. And we should at least mention that there is this new, like, I don't know anything, right? Like, we don't know anything, but there's this like uh, probe going on for what happened in 2018 with Hockey Canada and the juniors. And like, people have been like speculating that maybe Drake Batherson is a part, like, again, and I'm not saying anything, right? Because I don't know. But like, people are speculating that maybe Batherson could be in the list of players. And in which case, like, who knows? So again, this is like a totally like, we don't know anything at this point. But if you were drafting right now, maybe that's a reason to like, you know, you want to avoid someone that has any risk, right? So all that to say, I don't want to like speculate too much on that, just to say that no. this is a thing that's out in the world. But uh, so Batherson's on the list. But Brian, what do you think? Like, just talking about the the play part of it, uh, do you think that Batherson, like, first of all, where do you kind of have him right now? I guess we just, oh yeah, how about this? For the baseline, I've brought up the uh, Dauber projections, okay? The guide has been released. I'm obviously not just going to give away all, like, all the numbers, right? Like, you got to go buy the guide, like I said. But just to give a general sense, like, Dauber's got Batherson at, like, 68 points in 72 games, so near point per game. So Dauber's got him pretty high, so... If he, I don't think he'll be able to surprise us too much by doing well if we're going by the Dauber projections, but he can surprise us by doing a lot worse than expected. So do you think you'll be surprised by him? Well, first off, I'll say if I'm surprised by Drake Batherson, I think it is going to be more related to the, the part you mentioned about the Hockey Canada investigation, which if, if anyone, if you haven't been following, I'm not going to, I won't recap it all for you, but it's absolutely, it's horrendous stuff. People are calling for a complete change in anyone who's ever been who's in charge on the board of directors, executives at Hockey Canada, and so they should be with the culture that has clearly been enabled and accepted uh, amongst junior like Canadian hockey players and what all the terrible things they have done and what's been settled. And yeah, we don't have uh, we don't know who was involved in this thing that sort of sparked this whole investigation uh, in 2018 with, uh, again, if you want to read the details, Katie String over the at The Athletic, Rick Westhead at TSN, and Ken Campbell, who has a substack, have all been tracking it really well throughout. And I'd suggest you, you catch up over there on what's going on. But basically, uh, you know... I, it's hard to look at this from a hockey angle, but I'm, I'm going to do my best, like after acknowledging the human angle exists. Uh, but what's happened since the allegations have come out is journalists have been contacting uh, agencies, sports agencies and representatives and saying, hey, do you have any comment like on your client's involvement? And certain players have tweeted out their own comments or, you know, uh, saying I cooperated or I wasn't involved and claims and uh, some agents have done that on behalf of the players, but uh, Drake Batherson is one of the players who we have heard absolutely nothing from, which is really, like, what can I say? It's concerning that anybody was ever involved. It's concerning that nobody would step up and say, like, say something right at a time where it's needed or do something right at a time where it's desperately needed. So honestly, for that reason, 
and and not knowing where he stands in all this, Drake Batherson is basically, I'm going to tip my hand here to my opponents this season, he's basically on my do not draft list. Like, I don't want a piece of Drake Batherson this season. I don't know uh, what the situation is. I don't want a player with, like, skating, like, having chosen to skate with a cloud around him. Uh, I don't want that. So uh, just from from that perspective, that intangible feeling perspective and it's the same reason why in the past um you know i've sort of knocked evander kane down a few spots on my draft board in the past patrick kane at one point in his career same deal uh so this is a guy i'm not really interested in touching with a 10-foot pole and maybe that's anti-competitive of me uh but it's just how i feel and i don't want to i don't want to be stuck with a guy who i don't even know uh like what's going on with in this really big important investigation yeah, sure. Like, do what makes you happy. If you're playing fantasy, yeah. you need to like be having a good time and not yeah. to make you uncomfortable. And there's other players to draft. Right. We we had this. I'm going to get to the numbers and like, but I just want to say like we had this conversation last season. I think maybe uh, around Tony D'Angelo and like like you said, Elon. This is not me saying uh, everyone should do what I'm doing or not do it. Like, everyone do what makes you happy and what you're comfortable with. Um, like, there's no judgment here. This is just my own personal choice. But if I'm looking at the numbers, Elon, uh, I am concerned that, yeah, it's more crowded in Ottawa this year. And someone is going to be left out the top, left out off the top power play unit. Drake Batheson, for the last two seasons, has seen nearly a 65% share of Ottawa's power play minutes. And he's made pretty good use of them. Like, he's paced for, you know, about 25 power play points on average over his last 100 games over the last two seasons. So he has been an effective power play producer, and he might be on the cusp of not having that opportunity. If I look at the power play in Ottawa, he seems clearly to me to be the odd one out. Like, I would say uh, Kachuk and Norris are locks. I'd say Giroux is likely to be on the top unit because he's, like has made a career out of crushing it on the power play. He's the big uh, one of two big new acquisitions. So there's three spots, which leaves one spot for Debrinket, Stutzla, or Batherson. I- I'm leaning early to think that it's going to go to Alex Debrinket. Uh, I think Stutzla has a chance. Someone's going to be injured at some point. But really, Drake Batherson is the third person on my list. Uh, the al- the alternate possibility is that you know the Sens have Eric Brandstrom, who's supposed to be able to quarterback a power play. So is there a power play 1A and 1B situation, in which case you're not seeing a big drop? Well, you're seeing a bit of a drop in Batherson's value, but relative to his teammates, everybody's going to lose a bit of power play value. So that's the other possibility here. But that's what I'm seeing. Uh, he did see a nice deployment bump last season, spending a lot of time on the top line. But I think there's two top line capable units in Ottawa. So I think he should see roughly a similar amount of five on five ice time, but I'm not counting on him getting that. Like either he's going to be off the top power play or he's going to be on a power play that's time sharing with another power play. Either case is not great for a guy who's done so well with the men advantage over the last couple of years. So I think uh, he's someone who, I mean, looking at from a strictly hockey perspective as someone who might surprise, I would be more surprised if he kept up what he did uh, in the past than if he fell off. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if assuming he plays and everything is normal, uh, yeah, like obviously it comes down to deployment. It seems like he's like really good. So I'm not expecting to be surprised. Like maybe I'm going to expect like a 70-ish point pace and we'll see like, uh, you know, I guess if he's a lot higher or lower, I'll be a little surprised. But yeah, yeah. he's not someone I'm like too, too concerned about unless like we just find out he's like off the power play, but he's still gonna be on the top six, like really good players. 
Okay, next up, we have uh, Ryan Downey in the Discord suggested that he thinks Beneers, Maddie Beneers on Seattle will have an immediate impact this year and be a Calder finalist. And then he also said, I think Perfetti on Winnipeg will arrive in a big way. So yeah, let's start with Seattle. Yeah, with rookies, it's so hard, right? Like, I would say Lucas Raymond was a big surprise last year, right? Like, considering we didn't even know who was going to make the team. And he ended up, well, he didn't end up being a Calder finalist, actually. But he had a huge impact, especially in the start of the year. Cider was also, like, a big surprise. I think we talked about him on that episode. So I think it's almost for sure there's going to be a rookie that surprises us. Because I haven't actually participated in any of the mock drafts yet. But uh, you could tell me, Brian, from the few that you've been in. Has Maddie Beneers been drafted anywhere aside from the last few rounds in any of them? Yeah, Beniers has been going before the last couple rounds, actually. He's been going, uh, I just looked at a few mocks that I've been in, and he's gone around the 13th round, mid-13th, early 14th, which is, you know, somewhere around 190th overall. So he's he's going, people aren't waiting, like he's not, you're not going to get him if you're waiting for the last two rounds. He's not going to be your sleeper there. You're going to have to reach a little bit. I'm just taking a peek at who was picked after him in these drafts. In one of the drafts, the next picks after him were Logan Couture, Tyson Berry, Mason Marchment, Cam Talbot, Noah Hannafin, John Klingberg, and another Owen Power, Tanner Janot, Vince Dunn, Ryan Pulak, Victor Arvitz, and a very different group of names going in that round 13 than the other one. And then in another one, Mason Marchment again going just after Beneers, Tom Wilson, Adam Larson, Cam Atkinson, Logan Couture. So that's about where, where he's slotting into our mock so far, Elon. Do you make anything of that? Yeah, that probably means that he'd have to do really, really well to surprise us, right? If he's going around like Cam Atkinson, Logan Couture, to me, that's like a solid like 60-point guy at least with maybe a little upside to be higher. Uh, so yeah, like I think there's definitely a chance that Beniers could be one of the front runners uh, for the Calder. Like he, I mean, we saw him in Seattle last year at the very end, nine points in 10 games. It was like fantastic after he had a really strong season with the University of Michigan. So... Um, yeah, I guess Veneers might have an immediate impact and be a Calder finalist and not be a huge surprise just because it seems like people are kind of onto him. But still a fun player to definitely for maybe other listeners that aren't, you know, our patrons, like the super obsessed, maybe might not realize. So yeah, if you don't have Maddie Veneers on your radar, I think you should. Like, obviously you don't want to reach too high just because there's always risk and maybe you'll get more information in training camp. But if he comes to the team first, I think he could be first line center. Like I kind of, I guess if Shane Wright also plays, we might see like Yanni Gourd as like a third line center, which I think is like the role that he's best suited. Like I think or if you have move a, to the wing, Gourd will or, or Shane Wright yeah, will. Yeah, Gourd or sure. McCann or Wright. Like there's so much flexibility yeah, amongst that, the forward group in in Seattle. It's really hard to figure out how they're going to play it. But I agree with you. Like Beniers can find himself easily in the top six, perhaps top line. Shane Wright could find himself in the top six. Like it's Shane Wright getting you know the old nine games and then them deciding what to do from there. But Beniers is, a, I think, a, a pretty clever pick because he could have a huge upside this season. Elon, there's a name that I mentioned twice that he went before, and I'm just going to say I, I don't think I draft him ahead of Logan Couture. Like, Logan Couture is just a little... Like, I feel like the safety and certainty is there, and you're not trading off very much upside by choosing Couture over Beniers. And maybe that's uh, that's more my draft and fantasy management personality shining through. I'm curious what you would do if you were 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 faced with the choice between Beniers and Couture. Yeah, I've had Couture. Like Couture's just like goes cold 
and like it's annoying and and you know and i think the upside is capped at this point uh but he's definitely a safer choice but i think if if we especially if the draft happens after we've seen some things in training camp and we're getting a decent sense that Benier, like if Benier is a top line player i think i might lean him but it's tough to say it also depends on the makeup of my team like uh if i'm willing to take a bit of a swing here and a player that in worst case i could Good drop point. him and i'll be okay yeah but I don't know, but yeah, with rookie. By the way, we're going to do an episode at some point. We always every year get Victor on from Fantasy Hockey Life to talk about Calder candidates. So we'll talk more about rookies. Maybe it's like you know we're not the biggest experts on these prospects, but like Beniers is one of the rookies coming into next season that I'm excited about. Cole Perfetti, yeah, we'll see. Again, again, maybe we'll talk about him more with with Victor. Like he had 15 points in 17 games in the AHL last year. He also did play 18 games with the Jets and had seven points in those 18 games. He didn't get a lot of minutes. So again, it'll be kind of about deployment. So maybe we can move on from the rookies. Let's go to the next uh, suggestion here. Uh, Mike Bogdan, the person who recommended the schedule concept for the last episode, threw out Tanner Janot, saying, this is pretty wild. Tanner Janot becomes Brady 2.0 and is a second or third round pick in Bangers Leagues. Uh, I did ask to clarify if he'll get the deploy, if he thinks he'll get the deployment. He said maybe not this year, but possibly next year. So maybe this is more of like a bit of a longer term surprise. But Brian, Tanner Janot kind of came out of nowhere last year, like not a player that was on anyone's radars, like going into the season, but he had this like great rookie season and he's not young, right? Well, I mean, he is young, but he's like 25 now. So not the typical age for a rookie. And yeah, he came out and scored 24 goals and had 41 points in 81 games. But actually he was looking, there was a stretch. Like when you look at the quarterlies, on uh, frozen tools in the second quarter, he had uh, eight goals and 17 points in 23 games. He sort of had a slow start and a slow finish, which brought down his overall numbers, but he was great. And of course that's just for points. Uh, The big thing he brought was so many hits. He was among the league leaders in hits. He ended with 318 hits in those 81 games. Uh, Unfortunately, one thing he didn't do that would make him a Brady 2.0 beyond like just not getting as many points is he only had 124 shots in 81 games, that's only an average of 1.5 shots per game. So obviously, that's why this is uh, being predicted as a surprise. Do you think there's any legs to it? Do you think there's a chance that Tanner Janot is going to be someone that maybe we're not going all the way up to second or third round, but is he going to be someone that's going to be like, what, 60 point, you know, 30 goals, 60 points. Do you see that as a possibility next year? Maybe a better mark for Janot to aim for is like Braden Shen right, as being someone, or Tom Wilson. Like, these are guys who throw a lot of hits and score enough points to make them golden. And I, yeah, I'd be really interested to see if Tanner Janot can break through and become a guy of the same ilk. One thing that, you know, I wasn't fond of or that didn't give me a lot of faith in Janot's game last season is his shooting percentage. He shot 20%. In fact, over his career, he's shot 20% over just just less than 100 games played. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, he's not a big shooter. So in 100 games, Janot has taken 150 shots. That's not enough for us to actually know if he can sustain a shooting percentage that high at 20%. Another thing working against Janot, being like a Brady or even a Shen or even a Wilson to some extent, is there's no power play time out there for him, right? And I don't see any openings really available to him either. He saw, you know, 30 seconds a night on average with the man advantage last season, basically is thrown onto the second unit occasionally is what that says. He actually had as many, or he had one less shorthanded point he had two shorthanded points and he did power play points he had three of those so i i you need that really if you're gonna be a a a 50 plus point player and it'd be hard to see you know uh 
continue shooting 20% and having no power play time and reaching the heights of being someone who's like a no doubter. Uh, But I do love the hits. And honestly, with those hits, uh, averaging basically like four hits a night, if he can do that, even with just one and a half shots a night and put up 45, 50 points. That makes him very rosterable uh, in a lot of leagues. So uh, like in bangers league specifically. So I like the idea that tenders, you might have something more to surprise us with. It's not showing up like anywhere under the hood in his numbers, but that's the whole point of this episode, right? Like this isn't, uh, I'm not poo pooing anything. I love, I love the hotness of whatever the the boldness of whatever prediction we're coming up with here. And I like looking to Janot. I guess my only other question about him, like I, I assume there's room for him on the second line, even though he plays more like a, a third liner, you know, you have Nino Niederreiter in there with Ali Tolvanen as, you know, maybe the, the most offensive wingers, but Tolvanen, who knows where he could land, right? And Yakov Trenin spent time on the second line with Ryan Johansson too last season. So Tanner Janot is going to have to wiggle his way in there in a bit of a crowded, unimpressive uh, <laughs> forward core beyond the first line in Nashville. So he's got his work cut out for him, but I'm, uh, I'll am i keep an open mind. I think yeah. right around Matty Beniers, especially in a league where you get value for hits, is going to help. And by the way, I've been talking myself out of Logan Couture since uh, <laughs> since we met okay. over, over Beniers. Like, you know, Couture is definitely seated line one to Hurdle and Meyer. Like, he's fading. He's the past now in San Jose. He has no one to work with. Like, the the... I'm looking at Cap Friendly's depth chart as like a, a rough estimate. Kevin LeBanc and Luke Coonan are his winners. He's getting older. He's been banged up. Brent Burns is gone too, which I think is going to hurt the offense as a whole. So maybe I would, uh, like I would take Maddie Beneers as a nicer, as a funner swing with, you know, not a whole, doesn't seem like there's a ton of downside with Beneers. It could blow up, but maybe I'd rather have taken the shot than have settled for like a kind of boring 60-ish point Logan Couture. Fair. Okay. By the way, since uh, back to Nashville, Brian, I think I'm not a prospect expert here, but like, I think that actually a name you left out. That Tomasino? Prob- yeah, Tomasino. I think he's uh-huh. probably like, if you're looking you're at right. the lines, yeah, what are we looking at here? Like maybe like Granlin, Forsberg, and Duchesne, maybe as the top line, then Rijo with, I don't know, Nino <laughs> and Tomasino is maybe how I see shaking up. But yeah, Junot, I think, starts the year. Like he played last year so much with Sissons and Trennan. I don't know. They made the playoffs. <laughs> maybe, I, I don't know. To me, it kind of seems like maybe that's like a pretty entrenched third line for now. But yeah, obviously things can change. And yeah, if he ever gets a power play shot, it would be interesting to see how he would do there because clearly he knows how to put the puck in the net, which is a thing you want to do on the power play last last time I checked, right? So yeah, definitely a fun pick and someone to... Yeah, I, I like your comparison also of Beniers to Jeannot. It's like when you're taking your picks, do you want to just take someone with a high floor because of those peripherals or take a big swing? Uh, I'll take Beniers, but uh, no, like scored all those goals. So definitely someone that I think deserves to be drafted. Well, maybe, maybe Brian, while I bring up the next guy, can you check quickly when you checked those drafts where Beniers was drafted, was Jeannot like higher or lower in general? So maybe you could look into that. Yeah, I, bring I up- can... I already can tell you. Well, I wow. mentioned his name coming just after Beniers in one of them. Uh, in another, he came right before Beniers, and in another, he came one or two rounds before. So on average, Jeannot's uh, going a- ahead of Beniers. People are liking the floor, plus maybe a 20% shooting percentage to continue. Interesting. Okay, so next up here, let's go to Kev's. I You'll take Beniers? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I want to see what happens in training camp. <laughs> like, if Veneers is a top liner, okay, that's me a big, too. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to close my eyes to whatever happens in training camp. Decide now. That'd be insane. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, Kev brings up Nico Heeshear. His prediction is Nico Heeshear elevates his game even more offensively and ends up a near point per game player. So yeah, Heeshear actually did give us like a little bit of a glimpse of this last year. Like correct me if I'm wrong. I remember he was dropped in the couple for me. I mean, I just got lucky. I got a lot of good drops come my way and Heeshear was one of them where he had like he was having his own typical like Nico Heeshear season. Like he had 12 points in his first 19 games, 12 points in his next 16 games. But actually to end the season, Brian, in the second half, he really broke out. Like he was a point. He was above a point per game for his last uh, 35 games. He had 36 points. And maybe part of that was with Jack Hughes gone, like on the IR, like it was up to Heeshear to pick up the slack and maybe in a perfect world for the devils to be good. Hughes is there and Heeshear isn't a point per game guy. But I definitely wonder if for Kev, it's like, if this was the hot takeoff, I'd almost be like, is this take hot enough? Like, I think it's definitely possible. I think Heeshear has shown he has it in him and New Jersey has some good players for him to play with. Jesper Bratt just got his contract extended for another year. So he'll be there. Um, so I think it's definitely possible. I think I'll be... Not that surprised, but I'd be a little surprised, yeah. Because I think probably if I'm doing my drafts right now, I'm probably looking at him as more as like of a 65-ish, 65 to 70 point guy, just because I think with a full roster, it's Jack Hughes getting the main offensive minutes, like his line with Brat and whoever and Sharon Govich or maybe someone else. Uh, So what do you think, Brian? Do you think he sheer what he did in the second half of last year is sustainable, like even if everyone's healthy? Yeah, you know, first bit of the season, Elon, like he he sure was no slouch either. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put him down and say it was completely out of the blue that he became this point per game player over the back half with Hughes out. I mean, I'm that definitely helped he sure become a producer. Uh, but he's someone we've kind of been waiting, holding our breath for for a couple of years. Like he came into the the league as a rookie, uh, 52 points in his first 82 games as a rookie. The next season, he got more responsibility, another two minutes a night, better power play role, and put up a 56 point pace in 70 games, which was like, that's good. That's linear progress, especially because he started so young. Right. Like this is a guy who came into the league as a teenager. And then there's been a couple uh, steps back or false starts over the last couple seasons. Of course, he missed most of 2021 due to injury. Uh, and then last year, he seemed to finally take that big step forward. But the thing about Nico this year is he's always he's always looked good. Uh, like when you wa- when I watch the Devils, I notice him. He seems to be doing the right things at the right times. You're a fanboy. Like, I like you've always year. been saying on the podcast that he's so good. I'm looking at, like, before this past season, he never had higher than a 56-point pace throughout his yeah. career. Well, right? And so, I just yeah. I just went through that. Yeah, yeah, he's played three healthy seasons. And I, and I don't think that would be a knock on him at all if you give him his rookie and sophomore seasons. That third season, yeah. that 51-point pace where he really let us down. But he's still young, right? He's heading into his age 24 season. I expect uh, like his numbers to grow. His ice time and deployment grows every year. And I know last year he got a bump when Hughes was out, but he was still getting a bump regardless. Before, New Jersey has a pretty solid top six. Like you said, whoever he plays with, that could be Andre Palat. And say, you know, Dawson Mercer, and I dare not even say Tomas Tatar because I'm not, I'm not going there. I, like, and I'm choosing not to go there. Uh, but I think there's enough. In that top six. And I think there's a, a pretty solid chance that he continues getting some really nice power play deployment. Like last year, he sure only had 12 power play points in 70 games, despite seeing over 60% of the devil's share of power play minutes for forwards. And I think that's a place that he can really uh, ex- excel 
next year where production was missing and now it can get better. Also remember the Devils have not been good for the last few years. Like Jack Hughes has arrived. Uh, Dougie Hamilton's there. Elon, tell me someone who was good on the Devils. I mean, you had Taylor Hall, but even he had his struggles. But there wasn't a whole lot yeah. doing on Kyle the Devils. Kyle Palmieri, he was good. Yeah, he was okay. He was okay. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the Devils now have a competitive team, and he's just playing on the most competitive Devils team that he's had to play on in a while. And you see his numbers, and, like, I see team team level numbers being better over the last couple years, or, or in the last season for his year compared to the ones prior. And I think that's going to, uh, you know, that uh, the rising tide floats all boats or some kind of saying like that. So I'm I'm into his year to being, I don't know if he can quite achieve that 70-point pace again, but I'm into him for, you know, I'd start him at 60. I'd oh. believe in him at 65. <laughs> You're so well, funny. Well, I don't know. I feel like you were putting him down. Okay, the the hot take, the suggestion was he'll be point per game, and I was like, I don't think he could do that. And then you yeah. and then you spent this whole time talking about how much you like him, just to in the end agree with me and say you see him as like maybe not even seventy, but at least sixty five, which is like exactly where I am. I think he's like sixty five <laughs> to seventy. Yeah, I I think he has point per game upside though. Like I I don't know if you would you see him as having point per game upside. Like I see his most likely number landing at sixty five seventy points. But I think it's possible. There are guys who I'd say the same about without saying that they can be a point-per-game player. Yeah. I guess, like, I'm a simple person. Like, my brain is simple. And so I'm seeing this pattern of, like, he was really good when Jack Hughes was injured. And now Jack Hughes isn't injured. So I feel like he won't be anymore. But, I mean, obviously, he's shown that he's capable if he's given the role. I just think in a perfect world for the Devils, it's, like, he's a 70-point guy, which I guess doesn't really make sense, because, like, why not just have both be point-per-game guys? Yeah. But uh, that's just my take. I don't know. Hard. I, I'm not seeing it, but that, that, that's good. I'll leave room for myself to be surprised and for Kev to be right with his projection. Uh, by the way, uh, back to Jeannot really quickly. We didn't even mention, if you're in a league that counts PIMS, he's also good for that. So if you're listening and you still don't know who Jeannot is and you're in a league that counts hits and PIMS, I don't know where you were last year, but uh, he's, he's very good for those categories. Um, okay, so next up... Let's do a, a goalie prediction here. Mike. Oh, yeah. Mike already gave us one. Okay. Give us another one. Why not? Uh, he said, uh, Pavel Francouz emerges as the Avs uncontested number one goalie. So, obviously, this is a bit of like, you know, the corollary of this would be that Georgiev does not hit for Colorado. Because I think that the reason why they brought in Georgiev is to sort of be at least in a tandem with Francois. And like considering that Francois was just the backup last year for the playoffs, and they just gave Georgiev a three-year contract for 3.4 mil. Like it's not chump change. I kind of saw the signing more as like a sign that maybe Georgiev is even the starter to like start. And then, but again, it doesn't really matter what's to start, right? It's a long season. And if Francois really outplays Georgiev, and I think it's possible because I think Francois has shown us that he could be really solid, and Georgiev has been kind of shaky, sometimes good, sometimes not, but also he's been on this like bad team. So it's interesting to see when I say bad team, sorry, no, sorry, Rangers fans, like bad defensive team for a lot of his stint there. Uh, so yeah, it's like really tough to say. And yeah, that would be a surprise for just Francois to end up being like what Kemper, like if Francois is next year, what Kemper was last year, that would be amazing. And that would be a huge surprise. But I think Georgiev is in his way. And obviously goalies, like we talked about on the last episode, we talked about our couple of rule changes. Goalies are very hard to predict. And here's a really hard to predict one because we've never seen either of these goalies in this situation where they have a chance to earn a number one job if, you know, they can win, you know, steal it from the other person. One thing we've seen from Jared Bednar during his time in Colorado 
is like he's willing to ride a goalie like he rode i i don't know if he's really had a choice though but like he was happy to ride kemper when healthy last season he rode grubauer uh the season before that um but again there wasn't much of an alternate option like the next most played goalie was jonas johansson then there was a year i think grubauer missed some time from injury uh but he and francis mostly split the starts but i believe that also wasn't necessarily a choice for bednar but i don't know elon i don't see georgiev i see the incumbent in francis having the upper hand but i look at both and i see two very similar goalies and i see them as so similar that i really could see them going back and forth all season long and one of them will get hot but I, I it's kind of like a samsonov vanacek situation from last season where i can see each one having like a brief window of playing really well and then not being able to keep it up long enough to actually win the number one job um so it'll be frustrating to roster any of these guys because like Francois or georgiev might be sitting three or four games in a row and then playing three or four games in a row um so I'm actually trying to, I think I'm going to stay away from both of these guys in my drafts, unless like I know I can get the tandem in a league where a tandem makes sense, which man, make sure a tandem makes sense in your league. This is a mistake I make too often is getting a tandem that I think is going to work out so well and learning the hard way. That well, Brian, not. can I throw it out there? This yeah. is how tandems make sense to me. Yeah. Draft a tandem with the plan that you're going to drop one drop. of them. Yeah. Like, you know, so like if they end up actually being a tandem 50 50 and it's two weeks into the year, drop them both. Let them go. Because you're not, but like hope that like just your gift sucks and Francois is awesome or vice versa and you end up with a volume starter on the cup winning team. That'd be amazing. Right. So you're, wa- you're wasting a spot on your roster for a couple of weeks. But my concern with these guys is that no one's going to emerge within a couple of weeks. Like you're going to be burning a roster spot for too long. I could see the goalie situation resolving quicker in Toronto between Murray and Samsonov than I could see the situation resolving in, Cal- in Colorado between Georgiev and Francois. So, uh, hey, I can see a world where Francois steps up and is amazing, but he and Georgiev really look very comparable over the course of their careers uh, based on their their Fenwick save percentages and how it compares to their uh, expected save percentages. Um you're right, Elon, like your give has had the the harder workload, but even accounting for that, they're both about average over the course of their careers. Georgiev just a touch above Franco's, just a touch below uh, in about half as many games. Uh, there's really not a lot to pick between these guys. I like the thought that one of them can can emerge as a starting goalie, but I just see them as being too similar for one to really run away from the other. Yeah, no, it's gonna be hard. And that's again, why this is a would be a surprise. And I think it's a fun one. And it's definitely one that could be really lucrative in fantasy. Because obviously, if Francois does run away as the starter, that could be like one of the top goalies to have just because you're getting especially if your accounts wins, you know, as a lot, then that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, like I like this being a, a bet that you're making, like in your draft, like you you have a hunch that Pavel Francois is going to surprise go for it, like follow that hunch, because that could pay off huge if you get him at the right time. But just don't get too attached. Because if, oh, yeah. he is, if he is, as you mentioned, Elon, if he's still sharing time three or four weeks into the season, that's a wasted roster spot in a lot of leagues. 
yeah, be ready to cut bait if it's not working out the way you hoped. Um, okay, so let's go to our next uh, prediction here. Or actually, you know, let me jump down a bit because you brought up Matt Murray. Uh, we actually had a prediction from Lewis, uh, Short Shift's co-host, saying that the, his prediction <clears throat> is that Matt Murray Reclamation Project succeeds for this season at least, and he gets 70% plus of the starts uh, for which he's not injured. <laughs> so yeah, that would be amazing for the Leafs. The Leafs, by the way, two years left with Austin Matthews before he hits UFA, unless they extend him. So, uh, you know, they need, they're need they taking a risk, as we discussed when we were talking about the Matt Murray trade. Uh, but yeah, it, like, that would be great. And again, this is kind of like a Francis. Like, if Matt Murray can step up, be healthy, and play as well as he did for, like, that one, what was it, six-game stretch last year where he was really good for Ottawa? I mean, if he does that all season... Yeah, you're, that's a draft pick that no one's going to be swinging high on Matt Murray. So I definitely like that. As like he definitely has the potential to surprise me because, like the the good thing about this this uh, prediction, this surprise prediction is like a I don't expect him to be really good, but b I do feel like there's a chance, and if he is like just even healthy, he could end up being so huge because Samsonov really hasn't panned out so far, but I, it might also be possible that he's really good. And like you could make, it's kind of like with Franzos and Georgiev. I could really see this going either way. Probably I'd lean Murray, but I don't know if he could stay healthy. Um, so yeah. Uh, what do you think of Lewis's prediction? You already said, you think that this one has more legs than the Franzos one. Yeah, this is a fun one. And I think that Lewis played it really well because he picked a guy who we all know there's some like latent talent hiding underneath, but we're all just so frustrated with the guy to give him any any shred of the benefit of the doubt. And that's the sort of guy that once you count out, he could surprise you. Of course, we felt this way for the last two, maybe three seasons, and it hasn't panned out. But I will say, like, Matt Murray has had three god-awful seasons in the regular season and not counting the cup run season. Okay. That was like a, a, a magical run. He could be, he's shown he can play up to that level. He hasn't shown he can do that in a, on a consistent basis, but the year after five on five, uh, five on five in the regular season, Matt Murray played really well, like among some of the best goalies in the league, uh, per his Delta Fenwick save percentage, and then had a terrible year, and then a pretty good year, and then two years where he was basically at the bottom of the league. And then last season, Matt Murray bounced back. So there's hope. The the X factor here is healthy. And I think maybe the like the bigger surprise would be Matt Murray staying healthy. But if he does stay healthy, I could see him. Like I I could I can still allow that the years Matt Murray has been so freaking terrible, have been because he is made of glass and he's playing with something wrong or something unhealed or he's like a little injured or he's not playing enough between injuries to to get on a roll or get anywhere. I'm very open to the possibility. If he can stay healthy, and I don't know how he does that, like I don't know if a guy like him can like improve his conditioning in the offseason somehow or work on certain parts of his body that get more injured than others. I have a feeling he can't. But if he if he can somehow stay healthy, I think he could have a really surprising season. I would definitely prefer uh, Matt Murray ahead of any of the Colorado or Samsonov goalies. Um, like he would he would be the risk I'm willing to take and and ready to be surprised by. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Shams is also bringing up a point in the chat here. You could stash him in IR when he's injured. So it's like as long as you're not using a super high pick on him, you draft him. Hopefully he plays well when he's healthy, and if he gets injured for a bit. 
I don't know. Hopefully you've drafted another goalie. Like like we talked about with a couple of rule changes, we've made goalies worth a little bit less. So maybe you could just ride out having an extra skater on your roster while he's injured. And then when you get him back, hopefully he does well. So it's definitely possible. Like uh, with goalies also, it's a lot in your head. Like it was interesting when you were bringing up Brian, like, you know, how uh, looking at the, their expected save percentage versus what they did and how it tries to account for if one goalie had a harder workload. And I feel like the one... One issue with that stat, I guess, that you can maybe bring up is like maybe having a harder workload also affects you like mentally, you know, like maybe there's more than just just like, oh, like you could sort of just like this goalie has this skill, this goalie has this skill and these sets normalize it based on the workload. But then there's the whole mental game. I think Murray has always been someone that we've talked about. It's like, you know, when he gets into a slump, he can't work his way out of it. And maybe that's the word on him. Yeah. yeah. So maybe uh, in Toronto, things will be different. So it'll be fun to watch. All right. Next up, we've got. So big, so red. Wanted us to talk about Travis Sanheim, who he puts as his prediction. And it's an interesting pick because Travis Sanheim to me is definitely someone that's like a, eh, like, we'll see. Uh, Not someone I'm super excited about. But he led all Flyers defensemen in a couple points last season. And he had 28 points in his final 58 games last season, including seven goals. And this was all even strength production. Uh, That rate, I'm reading what So Big So Red wrote. That rate paces with guys like Bouchard and Hamilton and outproduces Pionk. Yes, he had an 8% shooting percentage during that stretch, but with multiple full seasons over 7.3, that's not so much out of line. Uh, Of course, D'Angelo is the concern to ruin this. Uh, but if Sandheim keeps hit the point pace, his peripherals might make up the difference. So if you look at Travis Sandheim last year, overall, you look, see just a 32-point pace. To me, I'm like, yawn next. But he does bring up a good point that he was a different guy in the second half. right? Like Sandheim, if you're looking at these quarterly splits, only three assists in his first 20 games, no goals. So he was like a nobody. After that, well, I mean, if you look, if he had a 31-point pace overall, then yeah, we're looking at like a guy who was like half point per game pretty much for that three quarters of the season after that terrible start so yeah if Sanheim keeps up what he did like a 40 point defenseman can potentially be pretty useful in fantasy especially if they provide the peripherals and it seems like he does like last year he had the most blocks of his career 142 blocks in the 80 games uh so yeah maybe there's something here Brian are you seeing a chance that Travis Sanheim gets mentioned on keeping Carlson a few times and is someone that we're talking about as someone you want to add to your fantasy team He's someone that we were hoping for a while would become someone we could mention. And then he kept getting passed over for like power play time. And so we sort of gave up on him around that moment. But his even strength point production was really strong towards the end. Like he was averaging an assist per hour, which is really good. Like that's twice as much as Provorov, which is not a high bar to clear, but twice as much as Provorov and twice as much as Ristolainen and Yandel um, at five on five over those last three quarters of the season. So that's a nice little shift. And I'm looking at his IPP and it wasn't uh, so out of line with what his career numbers would be. Um, does it still bring him into being a fantasy, like someone that we really look to and are thinking, oh, yeah, like this guy could be worthwhile? Um, like, I'm not so sure, right? Like, I, I feel like uh, Sanheim even scoring at the pace he scored at over those last three quarters still is like, uh, you know, maybe a 40-point player, which is nice, right? That's better than the, like, his career high point pace was 35. That was his first full season back in 2018-19. Here is heading into his age 26 season now in 22-23. I think that would be about the bar we could clear. So I think it would be, Elon, at this point, yeah, I would be surprised to see Travis Sanheim's name come up 
when we're talking about like guys you should consider adding because he's been like completely off the radar for long enough. I think the other challenge though for him is going to be like playing for Philadelphia, right? Like you mentioned earlier this show that you don't really want anyone playing on Philly. And I hear and feel that. Uh, I guess the the one saving grace might be that if he if Philly's really bad and Sandheim's just had the puck so often, maybe that gives him more time. Like last year, he had the second best shot block rate of his career. He had a, a hits rate that was, you know, nothing special, but it was okay. It was manageable. Uh, although it, it came out to like, cause he, it, it came out to less than a hit per game, actually. So I'm not gonna, it just in line with the rest of his career. He's never been a hitter, but if he can throw like, you know, a couple blocks a night, put a, a one and a half, two shots on goal tonight and end up at 40 points. Uh, it sounds, he still sounds pretty boring. Like you've got a streamer basically on a week that, that Philly plays four times or has a back to back. So I'd be surprised if he got beyond that, but it would be nice to talk about Travis Sanheim again. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that much. Yeah. And then we'll give so big, so red credit for having uh, told us that he was going to be better than we expect. Uh, next up. Okay. Julian Paquette, longtime patron, friend of the show. Uh, he had a few predictions for us. He had three of them. So maybe Brian, you can decide which one you want to talk about here. First of all, he, his prediction here is Brent Burns age does show and he doesn't work that good in Carolina and Jacob Slavin earns top power play. So I, I was the one like over the moon. We were talking about Brent Burns and being like, he's going to have such a great year on Carolina. So I would be very surprised if he gets bumped from top power play. And Hey, like we've seen it happen uh, back when Hamilton was on Carolina. And I really thought he was going to be on the top power play. And it even took him a couple of years to take over from Justin Falk, even though it seemed like Falk wasn't even that good. And now I feel like, you know, the take that you've often said on the show is Slavin, while he's a great, like, you know, overall defenseman, like he's never really done that well when he did have those top power play opportunities when people were injured. Uh, but, you know, maybe they give it to him anyways. I don't know. I'd be surprised. But yeah, that would be definitely something that would surprise me. Uh, then Mackenzie Blackwood returns to form and becomes the starter for a surging New Jersey team. So New Jersey also has Vanacek. Uh, but Vanacek hasn't proven himself to be a starter. So Blackwood, at one point, we were so excited about him having this big future. Brian, you just talked about how New Jersey is finally looking like a more competitive team. And we have, so yeah, that would be surprising for sure, though, because Blackwood just was so bad last year and also injured for most of it, kind of like a Matt Murray. Uh, and then the last one here is Quinton Byfield takes a step and steals offensive opportunities from Phil Deneau. So yeah, it's like we already forget. Like <laughs> Byfield was second overall pick, someone that we're expecting to be huge one day. He's only 19 years old still. He's super young. Last year, he did play 40 games, only 10 points. And like this prediction has Byfield taking away from Deneau. I think like the big you know, problem with this is Deneau, Arvidsson, Moore was such like a successful line in the second half of the year. So it's like, are they really going to ruin that chemistry? But I guess if things aren't going well, but yeah, it's hard for me to imagine Byfield being a big producer until he cracks that top six, which, does, you know, I think Kempe, Kopitar, Fiala, and then Arvidsson, Deneau, Moore seems like so set for me, but there could also be an injury. Uh, so Brian, of those three, is there anyone that you think has the most legs, the most likely to happen? I really like the Brent Burns take just because it, it would be, yeah, well, okay. Actually, I like the Devils one the most. I was going to say like the Brent Burns one because it would be really surprising. And I sort of have like, I've expressed a little um, skepticism about how much Burns can do. Although I think he is going to be a good get in most drafts wherever you grab him. Um but Slavin taking over the top unit is something I don't see happening. Like Carolina went out, they got Burns. Um, 
for a couple reasons, but one of them was to work the top power play. And Slavin has only ever, ever, ever been there uh, based on ultimate necessity. And I just, uh, I don't see that happening so long as Burns is healthy. Uh, Slavin in his career on the power play hasn't been somebody who's performed uh, really any any better than anybody else would on the power play. Um, so like he does not stand out as an effective power play helper. So that's why I'm not, I'm not thinking that he's in line to get the job. Um, but the, the Mackenzie Blackwood, actually, I, I like that take a lot. I think there could be as much value as there could be if you find the right Colorado goalie or the right Toronto goalie. And I, I'm still going on the record saying, I'm not sure there will be a right Colorado rec- goalie. There could be a right Toronto goalie. There could be, a right New Jersey goalie too. And if you get him, yeah. Like this New Jersey, like I, I know I already said this, but looking at their depth chart, like they have two really solid top lines. Look at their defense. They've got Ryan Graves, Jonas Siegenthaler, Dougie Hamilton, Damon Severson. Like they are solid. Goal has been their Achilles heel for a couple of years. And they, well, I mean, they had a couple other Achilles heels on the way, but now it seems like even their top nine, is pretty solid. They have a good mix of role players in their bottom six, like guys who can just hold the fort, a really solid group of the, in their top six. Just uh, signed Miles Wood, so they got that locked in. Yeah, who's like been lauded forever as like a guy who's like, yeah, that's a good middle six checking forward. Uh, you have Alexander Holtz, who like could step up as a prospect and, and make some noise. Like maybe he plays with Nico Heischer and Andre Palat on the second line. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, there's, there's so many possibilities for fun in New Jersey this year. I think they're ready to compete. Uh, and, and goaltending is just the biggest question mark for them. Blackwood himself is a question mark in net. Uh, he has not been someone who has inspired much confidence. Like, yeah, he started his career pretty well, uh, over his first, you know, couple seasons where he played 70 games. He looked average to a little above average. But ever since then, he's been a total disaster, fought a lot of injuries. Uh, and we just don't know if he has it. It's been a long time. It's been, I'd say it's been over two seasons since we've seen Really any sunshine from Mackenzie Blackwood's play. Meanwhile, last year, Vitek Vanacek put together like a a half-decent season. Uh, He couldn't win the starting job over Ilya Samsonov, but he came the closest to winning the starting job over Ilya Samsonov. And I actually think what really hurt him was shorthanded. Vanacek struggled at even strength. He was actually pretty, pretty solid. Um, Like, I would say more above average than Blackwood has ever played. So... I know the take was specifically about Mackenzie Blackwood. I feel like the Devils would rather Vanacek be the guy. They seem, uh, especially from the interview with Shana, Shana Goldman, the 32 beats, and everything else I've read and heard over the last couple of years, it seems like the Devils are ready to move on from Blackwood. Uh, so I feel like Vanacek has the advantage. But picking the right Devils goalie, yeah, could be a really great thing. So there's a, I, I like that prediction. And I think the Devils goalies are kind of being forgotten because it's been a while since we've had a fantasy-relevant Devils goalie. And then the Quinton Byfield um, thought uh, that he could surprise. Also would be fun, but Elon, for the reason you said, that second line seems so, so locked in with more Deneau and Arvidsson. I just don't see where uh, where Byfield is going to be able to to find his way through Mm -hmm. into the top six with Kempe and Fiala flanking Kopitar. I think he's like the eventually guy and he still waivers exempt for what it's worth. Uh, I don't think he's like going to go back and play a lot in the AHL. 
I'm open to the possibility. I think it's still too early to get on the byfield train, but as Kopitar ages out, I think he's going to be asked to take on more and more responsibility. Maybe he'll find himself on the wing before he's playing at center. Uh, but that's, uh, I, I think it's, I like the thought, but I think it's too soon to get, uh, to get too deep into Quinton Byfield. Right. Yeah. Okay. So some fun predictions from Julian. We'll see if any of them pan out. Brian, this is my job to be the devil's excited person and you're supposed to cool me off. Now you're talking like you're into the devils for next year. So we'll see. You should buy a devil's hat. You don't really wear hats on the show. I guess you have nice hair. So why should you? I'm wearing a hat. I'm wearing a sense hat. I don't know. And you have great hair. You sacrifice it for the show. You know, there it is. Uh, I'm back on Sense Train now. Uh, speaking of Sense, a uh, professional slacker uh, brought up uh, Batherson and Formanton. Well, yeah, so gets suspended midseason. So we'll see. Obviously, we talked about that. And then Matthew Joseph becomes a surprise breakout on the second line. So yeah, just really quickly remind people there was that stretch where Matthew Joseph had three goals and an assist versus Detroit on April 1st. Then three assists versus Detroit in the next game. Then two assists in the next game. Then a goal versus Nashville in the next game. So like he got on the top line right at the end of the year and was great. Now there's like no room for him in the top six his fantasy value has been creamed by what ottawa did getting to bring it in Giroux. but yeah if there's injuries or sub- suspensions matthew joseph could be a player that very quickly rises up the depth chart and becomes very exciting once again so hard to predict injuries and suspensions but yeah i think joseph has shown that if given the opportunity he could do something yeah, I, I, you know, I was cool to what he accomplished in Ottawa on that run. Like, there was a lot of, like, unsustainability underneath it, his shooting, his teammates shooting. So, like, we weren't sold, and we didn't see a lot of opportunities for deployment. If he finds himself on the second line, though, if anyone finds himself playing with, let's just assume, for argument's sake, the second line is, you know, it's going to be Stutzler, and then probably Dabrinkit, Dabrinkit or Giroux. Uh, if you can play with two of those guys... I think you're in good shape to pick up some points. I, I don't see a power play role for him. I'm trying to like think even if Ottawa runs like two, like a 1A, 1B, uh, if he's one of like the top eight forwards. And I think he, he would sneak, he could sneak in there if Batherson and Formanton aren't in the picture. Formanton also a member of that 2018 juniors team and also has not made any statement um to clarify his his standing in the whole thing so yeah i see room for matthew joseph i like the idea i i don't get the sense that he's really built to fill a scoring role in the top six i think he's like a good mid-six checker or even bottom six checker like that's the role he's playing in tampa to success occasionally he did get bumped up and we're like oh look at this matthew joseph playing with kucherov and he could deliver, you know, one or two games at a time, but not for very long. Uh, but I like I like looking at the full picture of the Ottawa death chart and wondering, is there anyone else who could sneak into that top six? Okay, so next up, Alex Claremont, who's also been in the chat uh, for this show. Oh, I wanted to mention something about the chat, by the way. Kevin asked uh, Sanheim over Ryan Ellis. So we sort of talked all about Philly and didn't even bring up Ryan Ellis. Uh, a reminder, like, he's injured, right? And Charlie O'Connor, when I talked to him in the Beat Writer interview about Philly, was like, if Philly like kind of goes out, his prediction was if Philly goes out to get a defenseman, that's like, especially like an offensive defenseman, <laughs> like they basically did with Tony D'Angelo, that might be a sign that Ryan Ellis is less likely to play and actually alex claremont whose prediction i was about to read wrote that his flyers obsessed fan friend thinks he might never play again so obviously we don't know but yeah it sounds like for now we're just not going to take ryan ellis into account so hope, yeah. hopefully we're wrong and he'll play but that's the plan anyway that, that's He's what i'm thinking now i might take him with my 17th or 18th pick 
and just pop them in IR and plan to burn a move to to stream in someone, or maybe I can do it before moves start registering. Uh, but then if my IR ever gets full, I would drop them really quickly. I'm, I'm not optimistic that Ryan Ellis is going to be back and be an impact player this year. Yeah. Okay. So Alex's predictions. First of all, he uh, suggested Marco Rossi will be top six C by the end of the season and it's fantasy relevance by December as possible. So again, we'll talk to Victor. We'll talk all about prospects in another episode and like the rookies for next year. So, you know, hard to say what's going to happen, but definitely Marco Rossi, someone who was drafted super high and has high pedigree and, and could be really good. Uh, and it would be great for Matt Boldy to have someone great to play with on that second line if he, you know, now that he's lost Fiala. Uh, the other one from Alex is that Trevor Zegris will have an 82 point pace, which which I think is doable. Like he's such a big star already. And he, you know, ended last season with a 67 point pace, 61 points in 75 games. But that included, you know, only 14 points in the first 20. Basically, like he was close to point. He had 17 points in his last 18 games. So this is, again, one of these things where I just wonder how hot this is. Uh, I think that maybe might be like a bit of a surprise for him to hit all the way to 82. But I think he'll be close. Right? I think he'll be like 70, 75. And by the way, like we said on the last episode, Anaheim with all those off day games, maybe you still draft Zegris as an 82 point guy, even if you expect him to only be 70 to 75 because he gives you that big schedule advantage. Exactly. You have the off nights there. So there's a little bit of, of juice in his value there. And just 18 minutes a night last season, Zegers had 56 points in 62 games. So he wasn't very far off from being a point per game player. And uh, from everything I can see, looked pretty good. Like he was taking two and a half shots per night, getting a lot of power play time. Uh, towards the end of the season, he had some heavy minute nights where he was playing 19 or 20 minutes up until that like he was he was occasionally playing 20 minutes but often in like the 15 to 17 minute range so it looked to say i feel like anaheim was seeing okay just how much can we actually put this guy out there and use him and so his average ice time on the season last year was just under 18 minutes i could see him getting more ice and i could see him continuing what he did for his final 60 games i cut out uh the first 13 games where he had just five points um and that was you know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgive that, right? He's in his age, age twenty, age twenty season, uh, second year, first full season in the NHL. Let him get his legs over the first little bit, and I'm very happy to just look at the rest of the body of work that he put together in the NHL. I don't see any, um, like any surprises here, uh, or any spikes of unsustainability in his numbers. Um, he was pretty successful on a power play that wasn't that successful. 17 power play points in 75 games. And I feel like he could do more damage this year, except that first unit in Anaheim doesn't seem that awesome, right? You've got Zegras, Terry, Klingberg, and then, yeah. and then two guys. You want, you want you want at least four, ideally five. Like you we know, just you, talked about how we we're gonna put Klingberg on the last episode. We said Klingberg was gonna maybe uh, yeah. be a sneaky pick. I, for no, 60. I like right because I think he can get twenty power play points there. I'm I'm trying to hope. I I would like to believe that Trevor Zegras can like be a really good power play producer and be like mid twenties and even mm-hmm. approach thirty. I just don't know that the Anaheim power play is ready uh, to give him that yet. But Klingberg coming. Uh, is a big boon. So I like, I love the idea of Trevor Zegras. Uh, the question is, would it be such a surprise? I'm not sure it would be a huge, it would be a surprise if he beat a point per game pace. 
Like, well, you maybe know. there's an opposite one, Brian. I could throw at you. Schwab's squad had an opposite prediction, which is Zegers disappoints. He surprises in the other direction, and he brought up that uh, Anna, no Anaheim forward has received over 19 minutes in average TOI in the last three years, and no forward logged more than 60 percent of the power play time. Like, it's not hard to predict that a player is going to be a point per game guy with so few ice time and power play time. So maybe yeah. uh, I don't know which which is more likely that he overperforms or underperforms. So I'm going to say like in response to Schwab squad like I think that's a really astute and keen observation and we've made that observation about other teams like you know Carolina most recently talking about Pacioretty there but I also feel like that might have been true about Anaheim because there's nobody worth playing more than 19 minutes a night and nobody worth playing more than 60% of the power play time uh, like it, it was too even from top to you know in the top nine in the top power play units it just wasn't that much of an advantage you got from playing certain guys over others. And now that Zegras and Terry have really, really shown up ahead of others, and this is a year that Anaheim should be starting to really compete and contend. Uh, I I would, that's a great, I, I like that as a potential surprise that Zegras becomes like the most deployed duck of the last, you know, three to five seasons. That would be fun. I like that one a lot. And then back quickly to the Rossi and Boldy mentions. I like both of those. Like, I think Marco Rossi being like the, the darling, like the sleeper, one of the sleeper darlings last year who disappointed and just, you know, never really played. Uh, I think this year could be a great, a great moment for him to step up. And maybe this is, uh, I think, I think however you had him as a sleeper last season, you could have him the same way this season. I'm also keeping a keen eye on, you know, Ryan Hartman and Matt Zuccarello. I feel like both those guys have done well with Kaprizov, but neither of them needs to be glued to him. So I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Marco Rossi ends up playing, if he proves capable, playing on the top line with Kirill Kaprizov at some point this season. So I like I like remembering that he exists. Uh, it was more of a mention, like when he was brought up for the show, that maybe he can play with Boldy, give someone, give Boldy someone to play with. But I'm uh, my surprise prediction is that he makes his way all the way up to the top line. Yeah, that would be huge for him. And yeah, welcome to America, Kaprizov, safely here. So any concerns people had about him, you know, in the whole Russia situation, like he's here and uh, nothing to worry about. So that's good to hear. Uh, okay, next prediction, we've got Phil again. Uh, Pod Coles and paces for 60 plus points and finishes as a top six forward on the Canucks. I I find this hard, like from my experience uh, talking in the Vancouver Beat Writer interview episodes, it seems like Pod Colson is like a third liner, not really someone we can expect to have that role, but I guess it would be a surprise. He'd have to bump, I mean, I guess like someone like a Tanner Pearson always feels like he's bumpable, but you know, you're seeing, you know, Lise Patterson, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, JT Miller, that's for, but Miller also, there's been rumors that he could get traded. Connor Garland is probably in the top six, so I guess it's possible that there can be a spot there for him. The Canucks did bring in Ilya Mikhaev as a free agent in the offseason. Also, they have this guy coming from the KHL, Andre Kuzmenko, who could surprise. He like was very successful in the KHL. Uh, so yeah, there's like obviously competition. I think Pod Colson was like solid, like did a decent job last year on the third line. Like Harmon Dial, I feel like said like he was good. Like I was like, well, was he a disappointment? He's like, no, he did what they expected. So I, I don't know. Uh, that that would be interesting to see him do that. I I don't see it, but I guess it would be very surprising for sure. Um, I'll I'll join you in the course of I don't see it. I think, you know, this is what Canucks fans wanted to see when he was drafted in the top 10 back in 2019, that he could be like this bruising top six winger, uh, a good two-way player who gets points. But I just, especially like you said, Elon with Mikhaev in the picture, that feels like 
they brought him in to be what Pud Coulson was supposed to, or might still be supposed to become. So he'll be an interesting one for you to run by, Victor, but I'm not holding my breath for Pud Coulson to become a fancy relevant player. Okay, so next up here, Jordan, one of my tier one competitors in Cupful. So not the hottest take considering the 32 Beats episode, but I think Eichel will be a top 10 in Cupful scoring. And now he's just ruined his chance to get him in the auction because now we're all going to bid against him. Uh, but yeah, so Eichel obviously used to be a guy that you would take in the top 10 in fantasy and not think twice about it. And then last year, we were super excited when he finally got traded to Vegas. And then it was looking like he was actually going to play. And then he did play. Kind of disappointing. 25 points in 34 games, only a 60-point pace, but obviously extenuating circumstances considering, again, like Jesse Granger said in that beat writer interview, he often was playing with, you know, not great players. Like, you know, like he played a lot with like Dodonov and Chandler Stevenson. Like we were hoping that he'd be playing with Mark Stone. They didn't get a chance. So if Stone is healthy, I think that's what Jesse Granger said. It's like, if Mark Stone is healthy, that's like a very good sign for Jack Eichel. And that could lead to a really successful season. Obviously top 10 is very high, but Eichel, you know, with all of his shots on goal helps a lot in the way our scoring system works. Uh, we give 0.5 for a shot. So that can really add up if he's taking like four or five shots per game. So I think it's uh, doable. I think it's a good, like, it'll be a bit surprising because I don't think he's getting, like, Brian, actually, can you look, bring up those three mock drafts that you brought up before where you're talking about where Beneers went? I'd be curious to know where Eichel went. I'd imagine it was far outside the top 10, but imagine, again, we talked about on the last episode, one of the rule changes we've made for Cupful is that round three reversal, where if you have the first first overall pick you don't also get the first pick in round three like that would have been pretty sweet like without that imagine if you got mcdavid first and then you get like the last pick in round two and take i don't know i always bring up gensel in that spot or like whatever jack hughes and then imagine you get like eichel you know at the start of the third round that would be pretty sweet so now i think that you won't be able to get eichel if you're also the first overall pick unless you take him like in the second round i don't think you'll get him in the third because i'd imagine he was getting taken before the end of the third maybe i'm wrong i'm curious i want to get a sense of how surprising this would be for him to be a third round pick in the three mocks that i've brought up so small sample but he did go in the third in one of them he went 33rd overall in another mock the earliest he went was 22nd overall so that's mid second and then another mock he went right at the end of the second to 28th overall so mm-hmm. there's a bit of a range there and i did like check out like okay has has Eichel ever been a top 10 cupful score and he hasn't been um he's been like a a top 20 but what about like did you are you looking at total points or like points per game i'm looking at i'm I'm looking at points per game oh interesting okay yeah yeah, i guess i thought more like that season when he like 2019 20 he had 78 points in 68 games so that's like a 94 point pace and he was averaging 3.3 shots per game so i guess uh it's tough to be in the top 10 (laughs) there's a lot of good players i would have thought that maybe that would have been enough to crack it but yeah if it wasn't that season then it wouldn't be any season Yeah, exactly. And like, this might not be totally scientific, because I might uh, be including some folks who played like one or two games in a season in the in the count by accident. So you know what, I'll I'll go up to like 1015. But basically, uh, the prediction is that Jack Eichel has his best fantasy season ever. Um, You know, I'm interested. If he's uh, that, playing with Mark Stone all year. That might be one of his better players he's ever played with. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I'm pulling up his line mates. So he played with Reinhardt and Olofsson in 1920. He played with Skinner and Reinhardt in 1819. He played with Evander Kane and Jason Pominville in 1718. So he has this this theme of playing with, like, one very good. Like, I, I would consider Reinhardt very good uh, winger and, like, some other guy, which, unfortunately, I think is going to kind of reproduce itself in like Chandler Stevenson could be the that one other guy here, but Mark Stone might be better 
than any of the guys he's played with before. Like, Mark Stone is great at getting the puck, right? So if Mark Stone can take it away and dish to Eichel, we could be looking at a really great season for Eichel. So I like, uh, I like, I like this take. I think it could, I'd be really, it'd be fun to see if playing with Mark Stone can elevate Jack Eichel to his best fantasy season ever. Yeah, uh, Jordan, I think I'll be bidding. I mean, we'll see. We always like uh, do an episode where we live record the Cupful Tier 1 auction draft. Uh, so, Brian, that could be a storyline. Try to remember to bring up when you're commentating when Eichel comes in and if me and Jordan end up in a bidding war okay. together. I'll, I'll make a mental note make right note. now. By the way, Cupful, K- Keeping Girls an Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com. Join us. It's like this massive fantasy league. We had over 400 managers last year. Uh, it's like excessive, like, come on in, like everybody's welcome. We have managers from all over the world. Uh, you can like climb our tiered ranking pyramid. Uh, we've thought really hard about the league. We try and make sure everyone's active and having fun. We have a whole discord community to go with it. Uh, kkupfl.com. There's the, there's a little pitch. Yeah, I, th- I think that's reasonable. By the way, all the winners, if you win your division, not only do you climb up quickly so that one day you could be on the tier one auction draft episode of Kevin Carlson. Also, we sent cool t-shirts. If you won last year and you haven't gotten your t-shirt yet, expect it soon. With a cus- Actually, for people watching live, I've got mine here. I got my Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League winner t-shirt. Looks like a, just a typical cupful t-shirt on the front. In the back... Wow. Ultimate champion. There he is. The guy who said he's going to stop talking about it is now talking about it for two consecutive episodes. I didn't say, I just said I was going to stop talking about it last episode. I didn't say forever. I think you should brag into, okay. I think you should brag until you're not the defending champ. I mean, okay, let me tell you, I'm going to announce something right now on the show. Okay. Okay. Ready? Big announcement. You calling your shot? No, my my announcement is that my wife is pregnant and we're going to be having a baby in October. There it is. Which also means, as people know, for both regular hockey and fantasy hockey, usually a sign that the dip is coming in production. So I would love to become a two-time couple champion, but I'm, I'm probably going to make it through the auction draft before the baby comes. So I'll still be, you know, fully whatever, getting my t- nine hours of sleep or whatever I need. Uh, but I guess that's that's more than most people need. Eight, seven, eight. But like, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about my ability to still win after uh i go through that i know that that was a that hit your cupful success soon after your baby was born you were an ultimate champion yeah. and then the baby came and now you're going into tier four next <laughs> no year, i'm not so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like there is an advantage if you're up at all hours of the night with like literally nothing to do like you have a lot of time to look when your brain is at like 20 percent capacity that's the trade-off more time to look but less brain power also but like this is not a like that does, that's not an excuse, right? Like, you're not putting it out there as being like, God, like, it's, if I lose, it's only because of this big life changing what? moment. What's the point of having a baby if I can't blame my <laughs> failures on her? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's okay. a very good point. Okay. Uh, yeah. This will Anyhow. be the first, the first of many personal disappointments <laughs> that you're going to sho- shovel onto her shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway, yeah, like Brian said, come join us. It's a super fun league and we would definitely love to have you in our community. So, uh, 
like Brian said, you go to couple.com. Uh, it's a, a perk for patrons of Keeping Carlson, and we give a lot of other perks for our patrons. And you can read all about that at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I guess, Brian, we're done with all the predictions. I guess we also put the call out on Twitter. I'll, th- I'll throw all, the co- all of them like at once, Brian. You can comment on the ones you want. Uh, so Hunter Mooney, Manjapani gets the first line, first power play deployment with Lindholm and Huberdo, and he has a very, very good year. So yeah, I guess it's like Manjapani or Toffoli. We've talked about it. I feel like it'll be one of them. Yeah, could be like a sweet spot. I mean, not to say that they're the same as Goudreau, uh, but you know, we saw what Goudreau did on the top line there. And Huberdo is a. We've seen what players have done with Huberdo. Like it's it's going to be a good spot to play with Lindholm and Huberdo for sure. Uh, JM brought up Eric Stahl as a surprise. Is he someone? So what is the rumor? Is just, there a rumor that Eric Stahl is going to play next year? I, I I like I can't tell if it was tongue in cheek. Like I wrote back, like LOL, like good one. He's on a professional tryout with the Panthers, oh, yeah. right? Because so, hey, they didn't go. they sign uh, Mark, his brother, to like a one year deal, and then he's coming along on a professional tryout, uh, like to be, I don't know, third third or fourth. Like I feel like maybe he's going to be Florida's Jason Spezza. Slash Joe Thornton play like be the veteran presence play on the fourth line, uh, you know, bring all his captain skills and hockey knowledge. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's that's going to be the limit of his influence. Fair. Um, but I, I love it, though. Like, why not? Like, let's why not? Let's talk about Eric Stahl just for just for 30 seconds. You succeeded. Uh, person you, who brought him you know, up. I'll make it longer. Brian, can you name all the teams that Eric Stahl played for after Carolina? Okay, um, Montreal. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't. I guess not the, in order. The, Ra- the Rangers. Did he play for the Rangers? Yes, he did. Yeah. He went to the Rangers at the trade deadline. It was a huge disappointment. Six points uh, in twenty games. He played with Minnesota. Yeah, and there's one more team. Oh, one more team. He started the season where he ended in Montreal. He started on another team. It was a team that had a few players that we were kind of excited about. Well, he got traded from Minnesota. Remember the trade? and oh yeah for marcus johan buffalo yeah buffalo. yeah you got it wow okay was that a fun game it's a fun uh, game listeners did you did you get that right let us know at keeping carlson okay <laughs> it's incredible how forgettable he's been with every other team like i, I wonder yeah. if he wishes he would have stayed in carolina or maybe he I couldn't mean, i don't know if it was his choice or not he made money i'm sure he's okay and now yeah. maybe he'll get a chance to play with florida he made five uh, million less than phil kessel in his career according <laughs> uh, to cap friendly the man suggested Jonathan Druan. So yeah, Brian, by the way, I was really stoked with my interview with Arpon Basu. Like I've liked all of them. Uh, I don't want to play favorites here, but I had a really fun time talking to Arpon. And he brought up some points about how Jonathan Druan actually like, you know, he's been just hampered by so many injuries and also the personal issues. But in the time he was playing last season, there was a stretch where he was actually, according to Arpon, one of the few players that was succeeding. This is in the Ducharme section of the season where like no one was doing anything. And overall, like Druan had a 46 point pace in the 34 games he played. Like, I think he could surprise us. Like, I'm not going to like go out and like draft him, but you know, like usual, I'll throw him on my watch list and there's always the chance that he can finally hit that potential. Yeah, he spent a lot of time on my watch list last year and he actually was on my roster for a bunch of that early run. Like he started strong, 16 points in his first 24 games. And like, that's a that's a big success for for Jonathan Duran based on the way like his career has gone and what he was coming back from, uh, like personal issues. Now, he's never paced for more than 60 points in a season. That only happened once. The rest of his career, he's been a mid-40 guys. It's hard to imagine 
There's not something untapped in there. And like, remember his time in Tampa was tumultuous to some extent when he asked for a trade and then uh, he ended up being traded straight up for Sergachev, uh, but without ever really getting the play that we hoped or that he hoped he'd get. And then in Montreal, we know like there's been a lot of injuries and personal concerns that have added up to him also not fulfilling. So I don't know. It sounds like a guy who might have more to give. I would be surprised if I saw it in Montreal. Like, I feel like he's already been through it there. Like, maybe a nice, like, a quieter team would work better for him. Uh, but I am, uh, I, I love, I love being reminded, just like Eric Stahl, I like being reminded that, that Jonathan Drun is out there. Yeah, a couple seasons ago, he had a really strong start. We talked about this with Arpon, and then he got injured. Like, it's just like anytime he's started to build some momentum, it's kind of just like been hampered and it's been unfortunate. So we'll yeah. see. All right. So, Brian, I think that's everything. This has been a blast. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted your suggestions for your players that you think we're going to be surprised about come a year from now. It'll be fun to look back on this episode. I think I'm definitely going to have to look back at this episode at the end of next season and see if anyone really knocked it out of the park. Uh, And then we'll do a follow-up. It'll be a lot of fun. So, yeah, thanks again. We really appreciate it. Uh, Of course, we also appreciate the patrons. We've already brought it up. We thank you so much for sticking with us all through the summer. Uh, If you want to join us now for the season and to play in the couple, obviously, like I said, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, uh, for those behind-the-scenes people that are interested in that kind of thing brian and i have just recorded two episodes in a row that schedule episode we just recorded an hour ago so hopefully if you didn't listen to that brian and i did a really fun episode where we broke down the nhl schedule and that should already be in your feed from probably last week and you know we looked at why it's important to know about the nhl schedule to be successful in fantasy so check that out there's also probably been a bunch of fun beat writer interviews since we recorded this so just make sure you're subscribed at itunes or spotify wherever you get your podcasts uh but with that brian yeah let's cue the outro music why don't you go ahead read us the credits get us out of here all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including aaron tyler flash andrea tom derek david rob and patty our first ever patron by the way every so often we need to shout patty out for being for being first on board with us we really appreciate it uh, like Elon said, our Cupful season is getting up and running with our Cupful coordinator, Kevin Bear doing a huge amount of work. So thanks, Kevin. KKUPFL.com if you want to see all the amazing things that are happening. Shams and Elon still tweeting out all fancy relevant news. You can access it through gamedaytweets.com. Uh, ben and Lewis are tweeting every so often at Short Shifts KK. They'll be back in the regular season with a new season of Short Shifts too. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job, as always. Brian, looking forward to talking to you. I don't know when, because we recorded this early, like I said, and now you're going away for a while, and that's why we did it. Uh, But one day I'll talk to you again, and what should I do in the meantime while I'm waiting for my next Brian chat? Uh, Please, if you can, make sure that fantasy hockey is something for everyone.